You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a Senior Editorial Manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. Think of an iconic sports moment, something that becomes the stuff of highlight reels for decades after it occurs. These heroic, indelible plays typically unfold in a blink, and on the other side of the equation, there's failure. The results of these moments can linger in perpetuity, and while they're unusual, they're not necessarily the freak occurrences they may seem in their live moments. To prepare for the unknown, there are years lifetimes really, of practicing, strategizing, and anticipating. The reps, the whiteboard and video sessions, it goes on and on. Over time, muscle memory develops and evolves, and the level of play becomes more sophisticated, as whatever the sport is reveals layers of nuance that can only be obtained from being deeply ensconced in it for a long time to a lifetime. And there's all sorts of layers of support to assist in achieving singular moments of greatness. Managers, general managers, analytics people, specialty coaches, trainers, hot dog vendors, they're all integral members of the team. Maybe not the hot dog vendors. And of course, innovation can always help provide a winning edge. The same goes for all sorts of other industries and activities, cybersecurity being just one of them. Although, of course, it's not a game and there are no set parameters. On today's episode, I talk with Clarence Hinton, who's CyberArk's Chief Strategy Officer, Head of Corporate Development. As his bio tells it, he's responsible for formulating, assessing, and executing strategic growth initiatives. What that means is he's charged with looking into the future and preparing for the unknown, skating to where the puck's going to be, not where it's been. That's a hockey reference, obviously, and it gets a mention during our talk. In preparation for his current role, which he couldn't possibly have fathomed at the time, as a kid, Clarence discussed global events at the family dinner table. We talk about that experience and how it influences his approach to the role today. There are a lot of layers to it. Hope you enjoy it. You are CyberArk's Chief Strategy Officer and Head of Corporate Development. Um, I guess that's somewhat obvious what it means, but love to hear from you what it what it means and and what the role encompasses and what a typical day looks like for you. Of course. So if you start with uh, with corporate strategy, and that's that's really working with colleagues on the the senior leadership team to to set their strategic direction uh, based on what we're seeing in the market. You know, based on technological trends, security and cyber trends, and also competitive actions and potential potential actions, but most importantly, customer requirements uh, against all of that. So at the end of the day, that's, that's what it's all about. But once you do that, it's okay, now you have to make the difficult decisions on what are we doing? What are we not doing? Which markets are we in? Which markets are we not in? Uh, which, which investment opportunities are in or out? And it's really determining how we deploy our, our scarce resources as a company at a, at a high level. So that's the strategy side of it. 
you move to classic corp dev. So that, that's M&A and that's just end to end identifying, assessing, evaluating, you know, doing the due diligence, negotiation, et cetera, all the way through the integration of acquisitions. And we, we've done a couple here recently. The next element is strategic alliances. So just think about, you know, broad-based business development, not the resell and channel side of it, but really thinking about other technology uh, partners. You know, some on the tech infrastructure side, others on the security side really help us expand expand our reach, but provide leverage to our sales force. And finally, and most recently, we have CyberArk Ventures. And that's where we're, we're basically placing, placing small, thoughtful bets and emerging companies that are addressing, you know, future dynamics in, in the broader cybersecurity industry. So when you were talking about your role and all that it encompasses, how does the cybersecurity space differ um, in your focus and, and what you've seen and how the processes go and all that kind of stuff compared to other industries you've been in? Sure. So if I go back to um, broad-based IT, whether that be on the, the hardware side um, at, at Dell, the software side at BMC, you know, a lot of that is about enablement from the, the infrastructure side and then the monitoring on top of it. So it's, it's very, very important when you think about being, you know, getting up and running and, and efficiency and, and so forth and kind of the, uh, think about it more of the, the skeletal system of your broad-based IT. Now with the security side of it, it's, uh, it's different in that it's, it's protecting against things that, that could go wrong. And that's really, really evolved, particularly over the last you know, half, a, half a decade or so. It's gone from, well, I really hope nothing goes wrong and let me get some insurance out here and, and hopefully won't go too bad to it's becoming increasingly existential. And what I mean by that before is just kind of a nuisance. Somebody breaks in, they shut down some systems. It was, it was more cyber vandals if you go back far enough, cybercrime has a clear business model, even have organized crime and things like ransomware can be used to execute any number of nefarious strategies. So it's gone, it's really gone to this point of being this existential uh, threat to businesses everywhere and, and security you know, being the, the gate against that. So when you're going about your day to day and you're thinking about sort of the the gravity of organized crime, sort of working against organized crime. How does that make you feel and how does it affect how you, how you go about your day-to-day? Sure. So you start with the, the fundamental you know, stuff that you have to do in terms of understanding just the market dynamics, market growth, competitive dynamics and moves. All of that's the same across industries, but we have this, this special dynamic of also having to understand what the bad guys are doing or what they may do and how they may do it. So it has an entirely new vector in terms of how we have to contemplate our future moves and the impact that those moves will, will have on our, on our customers. Now, for me personally and selfishly, it's, it's exhilarating. Uh, it just makes the, the problem that, that much more complex. Uh, but it's, it's quite daunting uh, for, you know, for, uh, for all organizations in this space so let's take a step back for a second. This is the James Lipton portion of the program where we uh, get a little bit into your into your childhood influence and how that affects your current perspective on cybersecurity and maybe, you know, take us take us through the whirlwind of childhood through career path to where you are now. 
Sure. So uh, you may, may recall that for our impact event, I, I spoke a bit about growing up as, as an army brat. And on at a certain level, fine, there's travel involved. It wasn't crazy like some other families, but it was enough to where you, you gain a certain amount of perspective, just in being pulled in, out, you know, out of situations and dropped into new ones at, at different times. Uh, you, you see things differently. You adapt to situations differently. And that's it's just you know, part of who you are. But the thing that's much more relevant to what we're doing now is, you know, we lived in, in the household. It was all about national security. I mean, that was, it was front and right. center. Those are the conversations. Uh, and it was kind of natural. You know, you, you talk about, you, you see things in the news and we, we've been talking about, uh, you know, certain countries uh, that are, are back in the news mm-hmm. uh, that had different names then for a long time. So you fast forward to where we are now and where I am now, and it feels very, very similar. You know, we're, we're talking about, about security, but this is the difference here is this global security, mm-hmm. right? And, and the bad guys are kind of woven in and out of, of global society. It's not, it's not just based on a map, but it's the same talk track of, you know, of, of good versus evil, if you, if you will. But now it's is something that you know you'll hear this word a, a number of times. It's exist, existential for a number of different entities on a global basis. So it's it's uh, mm-hmm. it feels like almost a natural progression when you know when I sit up here and and, and say it aloud uh, from where I was all those years ago to where I'm now. I know you can't necessarily reveal the details of some of those conversations you had at the dinner table as a kid, but you know if you were to sort of generalize what those national security conversations were about and where, and where was that dinner table and, and, you know, what, 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 what was a little more of the context there? Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's things like everybody sees the news, mm-hmm. right. And especially the broadcast news and there, there are fewer channels than it's just the interpretation of what was said. And this is a lot of times just me, me, my father, you know, my, my mother just, Something comes up and you, they may show a, a leader in a foreign country and they may say something. And then my father may say, well, you know, they're really talking about this and that means that. And it's like, wow. And all of a sudden you go to risk. You go to risk and you start playing this game of chess where even though it's somewhat low odds in certain cases, it's like, wow, if they continue like that or if we respond in this way, and that's, and that's just that's how your mind thinks. You foreshadow things like if they move certain equipment this way, or if they elevate threat levels, if they move troops. I mean, that's how you just start to interpret the news differently, and and it kicks off different thought processes. Well, we'll fast forward through the childhood a little bit. You become an undergrad, and you study mechanical engineering. Um, how does that background figure into your career and what what you do now? With engineering, the, the thing I really, really enjoyed about that undergrad, it was the problem solving, right? Well, first, first, it was kind of this, you have all these models and formulas that either approximate or explain how things work that we see. And that's one reason I, I really liked and preferred mechanical to like electrical even, because it can't, a lot of that is, is not, for me at least, it wasn't as straightforward in terms of what was going with but being able to see it you know, cars crashing, things flying. It's like, oh, now we have the formulas for it. That even for me, you know, when I started, I sprinkled in some econ and their models that explain how financial markets work. For me, all, all that was very, very fascinating. 
but the the real part of it that I use even today is just the the whole problem solving mindset. The formulas and equations may change, the structures may change, and I don't I don't use you know kinematics and dynamics and thermodynamics and all this. I don't use any of that. <laughs> I haven't in in quite some time. But the the problem solving methodology, you know, I I probably use that every day since I since I graduated. So that that's really really stuck with me. When you think of the cybersecurity skills gap, people coming potentially from different backgrounds and different educations, what do you think is like is is most important to starting a career in, in cybersecurity, wherever it may be? That's an excellent question because it's so everything is moving is moving so quickly here. I mean, obviously it's helpful, always helpful to have an you know baseline understanding of uh, of programming, computer science, et cetera. I say baseline. It doesn't. It doesn't mean major or masters or PhD or anything. But having a baseline understanding because all of this is is executed, you know, through through computers and through code. It's all software software based. So I think that's you know that's fundamental. It's also helpful to have an understanding of you know a layer above that, just the IT systems, how things are connected. You know how hardware is connected to uh, to networks, and how applications run on top of hardware, and and how applications speak to each other. And, that, and that's more of that's less about programming, just more of more of a systems type of understanding. Again, not necessarily major, but that's important because this is also how these threats are, these attacks are executed. Mm-hmm. You know, you they they use they propagate the entire network. You land on an endpoint, you may go through an application, go through an operating system. And you you know you move move left to right and you elevate your privileges and so on, but they they manage this entire landscape. So I think that is also helpful. And you know, as an added bonus, any time you know spent kind of informally just playing around with stuff, trying to get places that you weren't necessarily supposed to get um, as a as a kid, young adult, etc. It's part of the mindset. I mean, the most important thing here is to be able to think like an attacker. To, to be able to, to mm. defend. So uh, th- those are just some things I'd, I'd throw out there um, as, as more of the, the ideal. The more of those you have, the better. But there's, there's such a massive skills gap that right now we just need thoughtful, technical savvy bodies out there getting, getting trained up uh, to, uh, to, to fight this, this massive, massive global scale war. So speaking of thinking like an attacker, let's talk about today's risk landscape. It's been a tumultuous few years. Can you describe the macro trends that have shaped and continue to shape today's risk landscape and what they mean for organizations? So at, at a high level, I mean, you can think about, you know, digital transformation, cloud migration, shift left. That's, you know, those, those are kind of the, the go-tos. Digital transformation, just broadly speaking, all companies were undergoing some form of transformation, going from more of an analog face-to-face business to remote and digital, software-based, internet-based. The pandemic accelerated all of that, right? So you, mm-hmm. if you think about financial services, that was already happening. There was more you know, app-based banking, remote banking, but then branch, certain branches just closed down. So you start to step up the types of services going to more complex loan originations that were being done almost entirely remotely. So that's that's just an acceleration within a vertical that was already going that way. But if you're in the food and beverage business, especially more on the retail side, you never expected 
to have to be a digital business to to survive. <laughs> right. Uh, but right. then when everything becomes curbside for a bit, it's like curbside or you shut down. All of a sudden, you have these traditional businesses having to you know expose their entire menu online if it wasn't already, and then be having to be able to transact more efficiently and effectively, you know, through through the internet. And and so this you have these larger scale digital transformations being accelerated in places where you wouldn't expect. So that's that's a big one. Parallel to that is just cloud migration. Again, you had and you're looking to spool up, add more servers and things like that. And you you hit the pandemic, you really you really can't. You, you don't have the people that you need to go in and physically deploy more servers. So then you're relying more on on public clouds. And so that happened, that accelerated. And with shift left, as you do all this, as as you become more of a software business and your workloads are kind of everywhere, it's like where well, you're putting more and more trust and power in the hands of developers. And that had already happened some, but then they're now on the front lines of value creation for your business. So it's those three trends really accelerated by the pandemic and all that's great, but you've just massively increased your attack surface massively. So you have mm. all of your business now is, is in electrons and, and can be accessed remotely by, you know, by someone with bad intentions. A lot of your infrastructure now isn't protected behind your your corporate firewalls. People who are accessing it aren't protected, you know, behind your corporate firewalls, and so the the attack surface just really, really ballooned. And companies really didn't have much of a choice; they had to. Again, for many, it was a matter of existing or not, right. existential, and so security was secondary. So you right. find you survive. Companies survived, many thrived, mm-hmm. and I used to back and say, "Wow, uh, I kind of have a big problem now that I have to deal with in terms of security." So that's that's kind of the table that has been set for us for us now. When you look at the last the last few years, right? And so with that increased attack surface, you've got obviously increased vulnerability, and with the increased acceleration, you've got increased volatility, which remains a top business challenge, of course. But organizations they aren't standing still. The problem is many are moving full steam ahead without proper security protections. So how does this notion of cybersecurity debt, which we heard about uh, at the impact conference, figure into your day-to-day thinking and perspective? Sure. So you can you can think about the graph. I, I think I even threw one up there, but you have as all this innovation occurs, you have this exponential increase in in the attack surface. So it's massive. Now companies have continued to invest in insecurity right it's gone up but not at not anywhere near the at, at the rate that which the uh, the attack surface has expanded and so that gap the large and rapidly growing gap I mean that's that's the cybersecurity debt that we we now have and you mentioned it earlier you know we don't it's not like we can go ahead and solve it with bodies we have a we have a headcount shortage here now there's a global headcount sur- shortage that added to you know the IT general headcounts, you know, shortage that then amplifies the ongoing for many, many years shortage of, of cybersecurity professionals we have. So we just can't throw bodies at it to address the cybersecurity debt. Can't throw vendors at it either. You know, the, the stat that's thrown out there is you have 70 to 80, uh, you know, cybersecurity vendors for every enterprise. The last thing we want to do is add another 70 to 80 to uh, to try to close the you know address cybersecurity debt and even if they did they don't have the people 
to deploy, manage, monitor, and operate you know the systems from the vendor. So they really need uh, a set of of key vendors to step up and solve a larger and larger portion of these critical problems at a very high level. I mean, you can't check boxes here. You have to really solve the problem. So you mentioned earlier in the interview that CyberArk launched CyberArk Ventures, and that was launched in, in the spring of this year. How does this figure in to everything that we just talked about, cybersecurity debt and solving all of our, all of our problems? So if nothing else, I think we've, we've talked about how dynamic everything is, right? And and this is just what, we're, what we can see so far and based on the, the trend line over the next couple of years in terms of what we're looking to address uh, as a company and even with our partner ecosystem. But things will continue to evolve in ways that are not, uh, are not readily apparent right now. And so part of what we want to do with CyberArk Ventures is to make sure that we have you know, visibility to and some stake in you know, the future of, of cybersecurity, the problems that, uh, that will need to be solved in, in, in effective ways as the clock rolls forward. And obviously, we can't, we can't just guess on all of those ourselves and, and invest and incubate all of these ourselves. That's not how we're set up. Uh, but we are in a, a strong position to, uh, to work with some of these thought leaders in, in the industry that have visions that are currently, as I describe it, an adjacency and a half to two adjacencies in a, a way, meaning it's not where we are right now. So it's kind of like hockey when you're supposed to, you, you, don't, you don't just follow the puck, you want to be where the puck's going to be or something like that. I'm sure yeah, it was phrased much yeah, better that, by Wayne Gretzky's dad at some point. That is, that is definitely part of it, right? And, and think about it in dimensions where you couldn't possibly, you can't be sure of exactly where the puck's going to go. So you have to have, have plans for any number of possible outcomes and that's why it's more of a, a venture model here, uh, where we're you know we're planting the seeds and we're we're preparing for the future in terms of how things could end up. If you look at our, our three investments, you know zero network, this identity based micro segmentation. You have dig security, this data detection and response, and you have Enzo, this application security posture management. Those aren't things that we're we're in now. So if you look at dig and Enzo. Those are they're in data, they're in application, which is you know an adjacency, but not they're not thinking identity. Mm-hmm. You know we're you know, we're playing that uh, playing it forward to see will there be an intersection, and if there is, how can we work together to to build that? If you look at the case of zero networks, well, they're a network which is a bit further away from us, but they're taking an identity approach to micro segmentation, so there it's more of a near term. Does network start to inter- intersect with what we're doing down the road? If it does, it's very likely that identity will be the connective tissues. We may have mentioned this a little bit before, but I'd like to go and just sort of take it head on. Based on your discussions and work with global organizations around the world, what is the greatest cybersecurity challenge facing companies today? Yeah, well, I think this whole concept of, of cybersecurity debt, I mean, that's big. It really underpins everything. But if I have to pick something very specific, ransomware is pervasive. What's troubling about ransomware is just the availability of it. So it's so easy for the bad guys to get access to ransomware. And it's again, it's almost like they're teaming up to, to throw different pieces of, of ransomware. You have this ransomware, their, their own supply chain where you have 
certain groups focus on deploying, you know, building certain types of exploits that can be used for whatever means downstream. So you have that. And then somewhat related to it, because you have more of this supply chain approach to ransomware, it can be used to do anything. So if you think about someone who has pure, it's pure monetary, you can go in and do old school, just shut down your systems and do what it says. You ransom them off and they get paid. And thanks to cryptocurrency, can be they can do it anonymously and, and get away with it. If you just want to attack and you want to disable systems, if you want to disrupt, whether you do that on the IT side or on the operational side, on the, on the physical infrastructure side, ransomware can be used to do that. And as far as ransomware goes, I would encourage CISOs and others out there listening to check out Trust Issues Episode 1 with Andy Thompson, which is just a blockbuster on all things ransomware. We'll call that Ransomware Part 1. Name one innovation initiative or strategic growth opportunity that you're particularly excited about right now, and how will it impact cyber our customers and the cybersecurity community at large? Yeah, I, I know this This isn't a... Uh... This isn't a favorite for uh, for people asking the questions when when you know the the person on the other side says yes I want to answer a different question <laughs> so mm. uh, but I, and and I, I did make it your own no, but I, I thought I thought about this and um, it, the the way I look at it is is this when when I think of what I'm most excited about again with the pure cyber hat just the rate and pace of innovation that we've had over the over the past. A year or so, I just flash back to to impact, and not only did we throw out, I think it was it was almost ten, you know, recent innovations that were available in the market that that Hen, you know threw up on his mm-hmm. slide. On top of that, we right. called out another five that were coming soon, and not only were there five that we called on on top of the ten that we really hadn't you know fully given you know given the airspace to yet. But they were across multiple areas. So we had, you know, we had uh, secrets management with uh, with Conjure Cloud and also with Secrets Hub. You had innovations on cloud privilege security, and you had innovations on the identity side with workflows and and identity compliance. So just the the breadth, the rate and pace of scale, all of that for me is tremendously exciting. I think we have to continue that rate and pace of innovation and the diversity of innovation to address everything we've talked about before. And so for me, I'm most excited about us doing all of that because I'm extremely excited about the overall mission we have in terms of uh, you know being the, the leader in, our, in our identity security, because it is so important when you go back to the very, very top and think about the problem, what we're dealing with this, we, we have to succeed here, uh, not just for us and our shareholders, but we, we really have to succeed for our, for our customers. Aside from pinched nerves, which we want to thank you for joining us today, despite the fact that you uh, sustained a bit of a workout injury this morning, the show must go on and you're a true pro and we appreciate that. Well, well thank you. Um, what is something people this. would be surprised to learn about you? Yeah. Other than you got a lot of probably Advil in you right yeah. now. So um, if you go way back, you know, I've been into, uh, into, into music for a really long time and it's kind of a uh, really, really personal for me in terms of if it even goes back to the whole army rat ties and all that is like, how do you, how do you ground yourself? How do you maintain yourself? And oftentimes, you know, you do that through, through music, uh, listening, of course, but yeah, you know, I've played a number of different things. I've played the piano for a number of years. I've played a few different 
instruments in the, in the band. And, um, and there's all, I mean, I was an athlete the whole time, but um, one of the summers, I think it was between freshman and sophomore year, I even, you know, hacked together my own couple of albums. We got to get the research team to, to get a hold of a couple of those albums and, uh, and we'll expense them, of course, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just kidding. But can you find them out there? You know, on, there's one, first of all, these are all tapes now and nobody, good luck finding a tape player, but mm. given, given the, the business year, and I know you have access to them. Uh, so the the first album is somewhere out there with master copies. I don't have one on me. I think my my father may have one. The second is uh, it's unfortunate. Um, one I had a uh, a piece of equipment that was that was lost in an, in a move, and it had the master and the step below the master in it because I was going back to to edit it some, even though it was finished. So those are lost with it. So uh, the second album, there's mm. no way to get that unless uh, somebody found that thing and, and and kept it, which I'm sure is crushed and, and melted somewhere uh, long, far away and, and long ago. Uh, so the first one, maybe second one, unfortunately, unfortunately, is unrecoverable. Well, we'll get to work on that. So the next time you're on the podcast, we can we can go through some tracks and and talk about how you how you uh, put them together and what your motivation was and inspiration and all that there kind of go. stuff. Um, I guess one last question related to the music, because this could be a podcast in itself and it's endlessly interesting. What are some tracks that you currently have on a, on a playlist that you'd be listening to, say, on your, on your way to the office? There's a song, uh, just an example. It's called Zsa Zsa by, by a French artist. I heard when I was on vacation with my family in Miami, you know, you use Shazam because you have to define. I just loved it. I mean, it's a sound you're not going to hear yeah. anywhere. It's, it's mainly in French. It's kind of a little bit of a, a different hip hop vibe, um, and and I understand pieces of it because I, I studied French long ago. But I I understand enough just to know what's being said, but not be able to understand the, the end to end of what they're saying. But just things like that. That's an example of something that's just kind of a little bit off the wall. That's not you don't hear it on the radio. That that I like to discover and like to take advantage of all the different internet type music services that are out there to uh, to uncover thanks clarence really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and uh look forward to talking to you again soon all right and seeing you in person maybe one of these absolutely days. very soon thanks for listening to today's episode of trust issues We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, constructive comment, preferably, but, you know, it's up to you. Or an episode suggestion, please drop us an email at trustissues at cyberarc.com. And make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts. 